0: Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati.
1: And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We're not trying
0: to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives.
1: Today's question is, how can we talk about LGBTQ topics at church?
0: Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many of the same life experiences. For example, we both took Pottermore quizzes and were sorted into the Hufflepuff house.
1: However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben is proud of being a Hufflepuff, and I am completely ashamed of it.
0: So I was actually ashamed too. I took the quiz three times because I did not want to be Hufflepuff, but then I finally just leaned into it. Actually, when I went to Harry Potter World, I learned that Hufflepuffs are known for being loyal, and I would love to be known for being loyal.
1: Which house did you want to be sorted into? Ravenclaw,
0: because they are smart and witty, which is everything I want to be.
1: I would have taken anything, like anything (laughs) but Hufflepuff.
0: Also, when there was the Battle of Hogwarts, the Gryffindors and Hufflepuffs were the only houses where all the students stayed to fight. So That's true.
1: I would have made a great Slytherin, though. You really would have. So we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives on this show, and today we're joined by Carl.
2: I'm glad to be here. All right, my name is Carl Hull. I live in Highland, Utah, where I've been for 21 years. And I've been serving as the bishop of the Highland 19th Ward for almost the last five years. I'm the father of seven kids, the grandfather of six, soon to be eight grandkids, and uh, I would say life is good. Um, When I was first called as bishop back in, I think it would have been August of 2015, It was really interesting, as I was called, I had a really strong impression that I needed to make sure that everyone in our award felt loved and cared for, regardless of their circumstance. I wasn't necessarily thinking of LGBTQ people at that point. I was thinking of of financial circumstance, um, questions about the gospel, people who were single um, mothers who were single mothers and some people who had never married and were well into their 40s and 50s. I was thinking about all of those people and thinking, how can we create a ward where everyone feels like they belong here, like there's a place for them. So nobody goes home on Sunday feeling unfulfilled or unwanted. And so that was kind of a feeling I had at the very beginning. And uh, I had been serving probably uh, about four or five months when I started to feel like we need to have a discussion as a ward about the LGBTQ community. Um, I think that's probably... Well, that was probably on my mind because as in a previous um, calling, I was the young men's president and I had two young men that I served with or, or that were in the priest quorum when I was young men's president that uh, went served missions, came home and then came out as gay and then subsequently left the church. And and that was really surprising to me. I had no clue, no inclination before. And then it started me to thinking, did I do something or say something that made them feel unwanted or uncomfortable. And I started to think, if I had two when I was Young Men's President, there's probably two or three or four of my young men right now who may be having those same exact questions, and there may be others in the ward that I am not even thinking about. And so I started to think, we need to have this discussion in the ward. So we had a discussion in the bishopric meeting. I brought it up, and the bishopric was... Fairly, fairly open to the idea. Um, few reservations. Um, they were. They're, they're, I had comments of, yeah, I think this would be a good thing, and others like, you know, you're going to open up a can of worms with this. Uh, So we had a a little bit of discussion, but we came to a conclusion as a bishopric that we should move forward with this. And then uh, we opened up the idea to to the ward council, which really created a lively debate. There were members of the ward council, some who said, this is a huge mistake. You are, this is not what we're supposed to be doing as a ward council. This is not the direction we should be going, and we're just going to have a problem with this. Other members were we very open to it. In fact, one of them said, it's about time we had this discussion. So we had the full gamut of discussion. Uh, and then so we took all, everyone's input in. We met as a bishopric again, and we decided we're going to do this. What was
0: that like for you when you saw that some people were like, yes, this needs to happen. This is definitely something we should do. And others were like, no, I really don't think this is a good idea. How did you respond to that?
2: My first thought was no matter what I do now, I'm going to offend somebody. And I, I knew we had kind of gone past the point of no return, because if we at that point had stopped it, there were people that were going to be offended. there were other people that, if we kept going forward were going to be offended, and so we had created a problem and and so we, 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 we discussed it and, uh, and then i i uh, this was probably about in January or February, and i didn 't feel prepared at all. Um, to have this discussion with my ward yet. So I felt like I need to prepare. I need to do a lot more research and understanding of this topic before I stand up in front of our entire ward, all the adults in the ward and have a discussion like this. And so I I started to prepare and I started reading blogs and, uh, and understanding as much as I could. And that's, Ben, that's where I actually ran into your blog. That's uh, my uh, daughter-in-law. She pointed it out to me. She said, "Hey, I knew this guy my freshman year of college. Uh, he was a many ago. <laughs> he was a sixth-year senior or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was a master student. Okay. Always in school. <laughs> <laughs> a professional student. So, and uh, so I started reading the blogs, and then and then I also uh, went and started visiting. Families where one of their children, um, had come out as gay. And I talked to them about, you know, what was it like? How hard was it? What were the, what were the emotional challenges that they went through or what were some of their fears and and what was life like growing, growing up for them? And I just started learning a lot. I learned just so much about the emotional damage and the trauma that people had gone through. And, uh, and then I, I just devoured everything I could on LDS.org. Well, it was called LDS.org back then, Church of Jesus Christ.org now, which is now called Mormon and And I don't know if they have they changed the name of that yet. They
0: have. Now it's under a special topic section.
2: Oh, okay. But, uh, but I read everything on there because my first thought was I don't want to be teaching anything against church doctrine. I want to be completely correct. But I also knew that Christ-like behavior was in line with church doctrine, and Christ-like behavior did not include excluding people. And so I had to figure out how do we find the middle ground here where we can teach true and correct doctrine and show and and exhibit Christ-like behavior to every member of our ward, even those who experience LGBTQ experiences. So that's, wh- that's kind of where things got rolling. Is, Can I ask how long ago this was? Uh, this was in uh, 2016. So it was about... Uh, four years. About four years ago now. Okay. So I, I'd only been a bishop for about six months at this point. I was still green and inexperienced, and I'm sure a lot of my members were looking at me as a very green and inexperienced bishop.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm just really impressed that you pushed forward with this prompting that you had. But half the time I get invited to speak in a ward, I get uninvited because someone feels uncomfortable or they raise concerns and they say, actually, Ben, we're not going to have you come. So it takes a lot of courage to go forward with something like this.
2: Well, I think one of the things that really helped is I really loved those two young men. I still do love those two young men. And uh, well, they're not young men anymore. (laughs) They're both in their mid thirties. But I loved them and I loved their families. And I thought if I can do anything to help their families feel like like they are still a part of our word and they're loved and if I can help those two friends of mine those two men understand that they're still loved and that there's not any part of them that's rejected by me that's worth it and so that's that kept me going. I, I started thinking about, okay, we're going to teach the church doctrine, and, and we're going to be very doctrinal-oriented. And then it's kind of switched to, we're going to be very Christ-like, love-oriented. And uh, and then it, it just evolved over time to, we really need to understand... And, and really understand at a deep level what people are feeling, what they're going through. Because I felt like once we understand that all of a sudden, all of the fears we have of homosexuals and homosexual behavior, they just melt away. Um, and I would, I would say that uh, you know a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, if someone had said, "Hey, I want to I want to come bring my gay friend to your house," I would have been really nervous. Like, "Oh my gosh, what what's the agenda here? Why why do we have a gay person in the house?" And cuz I was fearful. I did not know. I did not know what what to think. And once I got to know people, it's like the fears were gone. It's like, there's <laughs> nothing to be scared of here. These are just wonderful, good people, like all the other wonderful, good people that you have. And they have—they carry something with them that's different than you, which is, in many cases, when you, recon- when you try to reconcile what they carry with, with, with church doctrine, that's not an easy thing to carry. And the, the empathy that I started to feel during this process was huge. And I wanted our ward members to start to feel that empathy.
1: Something you said made me think of something that President Ballard said when he came to BYU. Um, I was actually there for this devotional, and it was like a Q&A format. And he said, we need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we've done in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord.
2: Well, what I found as I started really diving into what the brethren have been saying about LGBTQ topics was that they were way ahead of me. I was surprised how many statements and how many commentaries from the apostles I found that were way more, way, way more open to to opening our arms and our, and our chapel doors and, and, uh, and our homes to members of this community than I had thought. And I was surprised that I was behind a little bit in my thinking because I remember specifically Elder Christofferson, Elder Oaks, Elder Holland, and Elder Cook. I ran across quotes from all of them um, talking about this issue and how we should be at the forefront of showing love and understanding, not at the back pointing fingers and uh, and making people feel uncomfortable.
0: You know, similar to you, whenever I am asked to share a fifth Sunday lesson or a fireside, I try to share stories that let people get to know me and my experience. But I also purposely share stories of ways that my straight family and friends have helped me so that I can give so that I can give models of how to support and love LGBTQ people. Like you said, when you really get to know someone, you can't have prejudice against them. You can't hate them. If you really know someone, your heart changes.
2: That is for sure, when I was preparing my uh, presentation for the ward there i was i'd put together the PowerPoint presentation i'd rehearsed it a few times, and this was about a month before I was going to give it uh, During that time, I had a name and a face of someone I had worked with come to me. I was sitting at my kitchen table and his name and face came right to me. He was a he was a gay person I'd worked with in my very first job out of, out of college and I remembered some of the things that I had said about him to some of my coworkers and some of the things that we had done. Not with him around, but but when he was not around, some of the things that we had said and, and, and done. For example, I was in a purchasing office, and one time he came down to create a purchase order. And once he left, one of my coworkers said, you know he's gay, right? And I said, what? He's gay? And so half in jest, half in seriousness, we went to the janitor's closet and got some disinfectant and cleaned the whole area where he had been sitting. And I look back at that, and I thought, oh my heavens, what an embarrassment I was to myself. And uh, as I was sitting there preparing my talk, or my presentation, it occurred to me, how can you go and make a presentation like this until you've tracked down this person and made it right with them? So through, I hadn't worked with this guy for over 20 years, and uh, through through social media I was able to track him down, and... uh, I reached out to him and said, "Hey, my name is Carl Hull. We used to work together a long, long time ago. Not sure if you remember me." And and he responded back, said, "Yeah, I think I remember you. We were never really close at all." And I said, "Um, "Are you still in the area?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm still in the area." I said, "Would you be willing to meet with me?" And uh, he said, "Uh, "Yeah, (laughs) okay." (laughs) And so we met together at a Starbucks coffee house. I bought him a cappuccino. First time I've ever bought a cappuccino in my life. (laughs) And I bought me a hot chocolate, and we sat down. And uh, I said, "Um, you probably are wondering why I wanted to meet with you. And he said, yeah, I kind of did. And so I told him a little bit about, uh, about my experience. And I said, I'm here to ask for your forgiveness. Because there was a time, a few times, 20 plus years ago, when I treated you very poorly. And I said things about you because I didn't know you and I didn't understand your situation. And I thought you were an evil person. And I'm here to apologize to you and ask for your forgiveness. And uh, he teared up, immediately forgave me without any hesitation. And I thought we were done. I thought we were done with our conversation. And uh, he said, uh, would you like to hear my story? And I said, sure, I'd love to hear your story. And he opened up for the next 45 minutes to an hour and told me his story. Wow. He talked about, he grew up somewhere very similar to, I think it was the Cottonwood Heights area of Salt Lake City. And uh, was uh, a very good member of the church and and started feeling that he had these feelings as a as a as an early teenager and wasn't sure what to do with them and this would would have been back in the probably late 70s early 80s when it was just really a taboo topic and uh talked about how much he hated himself and how much he hated his life and and he went he talked about the times that he was suicidal and how he felt like if he served a good mission it would go away and if he was a good young man it would go away and just everything he tried nothing would make it go away and uh and he finally just came to grips with who he was and, uh, and then didn't see a place for himself in the church, which I can understand because I don't think there really was much of a place for him there the, the, as church members. I think we've gotten a lot better and we can still get better, but I think he just didn't see a place for himself. And so he left and I, so as he unfolded, his, unfolded his whole story, that I had never known. I, I didn't know, know that he was ever even a member of the church. And I found out he had served a mission and served in a bishopric and all these things that he had done. I was just flabbergasted and, uh, and realized that, boy, once you start hearing people's stories and they become people, then it's a lot easier to love them and not to be fearful of them.
0: Carl, I'm noticing this theme of wanting to um, hear people's stories and learning from those stories and this desire that you had to share the things you were learning by hearing LGBTQ stories with the people in your ward. And I'm just really grateful for the people who have uh, allowed me to share my story in a church setting. I remember I moved uh, to a new ward in in Tucson, Arizona, and I had been asked to give a talk and I asked the bishop beforehand if I could come out in my talk because it was relevant um, to the message I wanted to share. And I remember him saying, I don't see why that would be a problem. So I came out in my talk and I, I was brand new to the ward. I'd only been there for a couple of weeks. And after my talk, uh, about six people came up to introduce themselves and to thank me for being so open and honest and, and to welcome me into the ward. And I immediately knew that, that was a place where I could belong. And I didn't do it all the time, but when it, was, when it came up organically, I would mention being gay in comments or, or in lessons and, and people were, were really welcoming and kind. And, and I found that I was really able to be myself in that ward uh, because I didn't have to hide this part of me and my orientation has been so integral to so much of my spiritual learning and, and um, how I progressed um, on the gospel path and and if I don't share that part of me then I really can't share all of who I am. How did this process of planning the presentation unfold?
2: I had the presentation already and uh, I wanted to rehearse it a couple of times. And so my wife was good enough to listen to me. And I re- Were you so nervous? I was, I was very nervous, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I made the presentation. I'd asked her, I said, would you please just not make any comments, just listen and take notes. And then when we're done, would you, would you just give me your feedback? So I went clear through the presentation. I thought I had done a pretty good job and when I got done, I said, so what did you think? And she said, that was really terrible. <laughs> she, <laughs> I mean, she roasted me. And uh, I said, well, what was wrong with it? She said, it's just so cold. It's just, it's boring. It's cold. And it's just, it's, you're going through a bunch of church quotes and doctrine." She said, you've got to tell stories. And she said, you've got to tell the story about the person you reached out to. You've got to tell the stories about people who've experienced this. And you've got to make it people-based and not doctrinal based. And so I completely changed my entire presentation based upon her feedback and we, during the third hour, uh, back when we had the third hour uh, we made the presentation and it was all, it was a series of stories. And and Ben had actually given me permission to use his picture so it was a story with a picture. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we, so we shared the stories and and I at the very beginning, I had asked the ward I said, this is not a, a discussion. This is a presentation. And I'd asked him to just sit back and listen and, uh, and try to feel the Holy Ghost. And uh, my wife and all of my married kids, and I, even my single kids too, um, they all fasted for me. And so we, we approached this, uh, this meeting fasting for help. And by the time I stood up, I was already feeling the Spirit really strongly. And, uh, and then as the presentation went, I could tell that some members were doing really well and some were struggling, but they were there and they were listening. And when we got done, I had quite a few members who came up and, and thanked me. I had a couple of members who came up and said, that was a hard presentation to sit through, but I'm going to go home and think about it and I'm going to go home and listen to it. And uh, and overall, that was it was, I think, extremely well received. I think if you were to go and and take a poll of people in our ward and ask them, do we have an accepting and a loving ward? I think that that by and large, the overwhelming majority would say we have a very loving ward. And if someone if someone does not fit the typical Mormon mold, there's a place for them in our pews.
0: What have been the effects of that lesson in the year since?
2: We have had uh, we've had some follow up lessons. We we didn't want that to be a one and done type of a thing. So we we on the this particular Sunday, we we gave the lesson to all of the adults. The very next Sunday, we gave the same lesson but to the youth. And we wanted the adults to know we're, we're going to be having the same discussion with the youth, and they need to understand where we, where we stand on it. So the youth uh, had the same presentation. And in that one, we actually had a young man, a young man from our, our stake who had come out about a year previous that uh, came and, uh, and spoke to the youth. And so I made a very similar type of a presentation. And then at the very end, he stood up and shared his personal experience, which made it very powerful because some of the kids knew him. And uh, that was that was a, a very strong a strong um, endorsement. That okay, yes, this is someone who can be loved, and so we we had that, and then we've had a series of discussions um, as a ward. Um, since that time, we've, we've talked about what, how should we handle people who have serious doubts and questions about the church? How should we handle people who who don't fit in because their marital status is different than ours or, or, or they, or they never, never have had that opportunity? And so we've tried to address difficult topics throughout the entire time. And then when, when we, whenever we talk about a difficult, difficult topic, we, we always refer back to this one. And I think people realize, okay, that was a good experience. We actually had some good results from that. So maybe I can be open-minded about the next thing we're going to talk about and, and, and be okay with it. And so it's, it's become a topic that people are not scared of in our ward. And uh, when it comes up, I think it, we've also talked about that when it comes up in the ward, jokes about gays are not accepted. You know, they're, 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 and comments that are derogatory are just not accepted anywhere in any class in in our ward, and we hope it stays that way forever.
1: As you've been talking, I keep thinking about the, these two original young men that you talked about, and a piece of advice that I often give to people is: um, I, I have a lot of seminary teachers or gospel doctrine teachers reach out to me and ask how they can make their classes more friendly towards the LGBTQ community. And a piece of advice I give is treat every lesson as if there's a an LGBTQ individual in the room because most likely there is. And um, I don't know. I, I'm just. It, it's so incredible to hear the story and imagine myself 10 or 15 years ago in this ward in a youth group and and having that sort of resource and realizing that. So often I feel like there's so many like my my church experience growing up has been so beautiful and and my testimony is very strong but it's also so coupled with derogatory comments or so many like little daggers that say, we love you, but you're not welcome here. And it's always coupled by this. I don't know if I actually belong here or for years. I felt like if if people knew who I was or this, this side of me that they wouldn't accept me, I wouldn't be welcomed. I wouldn't be asked to say a prayer or, um, be sent on a ministering assignment. Just, just so many, so many little things. And I'm so Happy for your ward and and for for anyone in that ward who is LGBTQ because they never have to feel that again, and they can go and sit on the pew and and feel comfortable with who they are and have a place where they can worship and connect with God and and feel the power of of Jesus Christ without worrying if they're safe there and that's so beautiful.
2: Well, that's that's exactly what we're trying to create. I don't know if we're perfect, but I. I think we're doing a pretty good job.
1: Another thing uh, I'll add is I think a lot of people are hesitant to to ask questions or to bring this up because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, I'm really impressed by the way you went and talked to different individuals and tried to learn stories. And I don't think anybody has ever said the wrong thing to me when they come at it with an attitude of, I want to, to understand and I want to be able to love you.
2: I, I, I believe that as well. And... Since that uh, presentation, uh, we had, I had uh, two or three members that came in and talked to me about their personal experiences, uh, and we've had several comments from members of the ward over the last few years that, that point back to that conversation. Boy, I'll never forget the spirit that was in that meeting, or I'll never forget what I learned in that meeting, or I'll never forget how my thinking started to change because of that meeting. So I—and I really, I think that we all took another step toward Christ. I really do, because I don't think Christ rejects. I think Christ is always encouraging and always loving. And uh, I guess the other thing I learned from that experience is that as a bishop, I want to make sure that any time anyone leaves my office, they feel an increased level of hope and not a not a downer or oh man now i'm really in trouble now I've, now i've got its problem i want them to leave the office feeling like wow i can do this i can i can get through this and i can uh, and, and and if i can help Then I think that's what the Savior would do: is He would always give someone a reason to hope, and I want everyone in my ward to have that reason for hope, regardless of what their situation is. And what, what I've often told members of our ward is, the people in our ward who don't have serious challenges and problems in their in their in their lives are the people you really haven't gotten to know very well yet. Everyone is carrying some type of a burden. And some of those burdens are silent and some of them are kind of out in the open. But the silent burdens are the ones that are, that are that, that where people are suffering and you don't know it. And we need to do all we can to let, them, let those people know that they can open up and they can share their burdens and they're going to find acceptance and love in our ward.
0: Uh, I just really want to share the, the story about how Carl and I met really quick. So as he was playing this lesson for his ward, uh, he told all of his family that he was gonna do this. And, and one of his daughters-in-law is a good friend of mine from BYU from like 10 years ago. And so she mentioned my blog, uh, which Carl read some of, and then he reached out to me uh, through email. So he and I emailed back and forth and then and I gave him some ideas about the lesson. And, and then uh, afterwards he told me how it, how, it, how it had gone. And I was living in Arizona at the time. He said, Ben, if you're ever up in Utah, we'd love to have you over for dinner. So a couple months later, I was actually in Utah, and so I emailed him. I said, hey, I'm in Utah, if that dinner invitation still stands. And as I was driving to your house, I thought, what am I doing? I don't know these people. I was like, well, at the very least, it'll be a good story to tell. And so I rang the doorbell, and then when you opened the door, I was going to shake your hand, and you just said, in this house, we hug our heroes, and you gave me a hug. And I just knew that I was going to be welcomed and loved there. And we talked all about you know these stories that you're sharing and and I just felt so much hope that someone like you who didn't really have a strong connection to the LGBTQ world had felt a prompting from the Holy Ghost to do something and then did it and you acted on it and it wasn't the easiest thing to do. It took a lot of work and you helped a lot of people. And I have no doubt that there are Carls all over the church who are receiving promptings and having the courage to act on them.
2: I agree. I, I, I think I was probably started in my quest for this by my stake president. Uh, one quick story about a stake president, so if there's any stake presidents listening to this, um, my stake president, he invited the entire um, stake PEC and uh, all of the bishops and all of the uh, stake auxiliary organizational leaders to come to a meeting, and, they, and the topic was um, um, same-sex attraction. And so, and he didn't tell us anything about the about who was going to be speaking, and uh, so we all go to the meeting, and there's a guest speaker there that, who we all expected is probably you know some very renowned therapist and really knows the topic well and can really help out, and so after the opening song and prayer and uh, the, the the short introduction, um, Joseph Stith stands up. And he starts out and says, hello, my name is uh, Brother Joseph Stith. I was a former bishop, and I'm gay. And and we were all just stunned. We all stood back in our seats like, we're being taught here by a gay man, and our stake president's okay with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was one of the first eye-opening experiences that I had. So our stake president really, really cut the ice for all of our bishops and all of the members of the stake PEC to think, start reframing how we think about this topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was
0: a huge step. Uh, a good leader can really get this conversation started in a big way.
2: Yeah, so I know in our stake, uh, several wards have had this exact same conversation. It's not a topic that's taboo. We can talk about it at stake meetings, and in, uh, in ward meetings, it's, it's okay to talk about. And I think, for the most part, every, every member of the LGBTQ community in our stake knows that if they want to be a part of us, then there is a place for them, and they are loved. I think they also know, if they don't want that, they're still loved. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be active and involved with us in order to be loved. They are just loved because they're part of God's family, and we're all part of that. And that's that's how we look at it. I mean, we we want them to feel like there's a place for them, uh, and that they we hope that being around us will help them want to stay involved in the gospel and involved in the church. But that's not the basis of our caring about them. They, we care about them no matter what. Mm-hmm. and they were loved no matter what.
0: Yeah. I love that. Uh, Carl, that day we met when we had uh, dinner at your house, uh, I invited you to write a, a guest post on my blog about your journey, which, uh, you did. And I posted it on, on my blog and it immediately got far more popular than my coming out post because your story just resonated with so many people of, you know, here's someone who is, is, who is a leader in his ward, who was making sure that, that, He's starting a conversation that, that needs to be happening, and we can put that blog post in the show notes
2: all right well thanks thanks for having me it was I, I really do uh, well, I guess one thing I would say in closing is that uh, during that year when I was jumping in and really trying to understand this, I had my most significant spiritual experiences in the presence of or studying about this topic, so it brought me closer to Christ. The, the whole topic brought me closer to Christ. And I, I think I'm a better person today because of that effort and because of the spiritual experiences that came to me.
1: Thank you for joining us today. Please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do.
0: You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and to hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time.